yeah, the neighbors might be crazy, but a law enforcement agency did this through official channels in contradiction to the definition of the words in the statute they used. And there had to have been a reason and a benefit. And if it wasn't a benefit to the people, and it wasn't a benefit to justice, and there was no revenue collected because oftentimes, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry, laws are written and enforced specifically for revenue collection, then that really only leaves one other thing. Welcome to the Ramble Room. We are back once again with David Iverson. Our dear friend is here with us today. Thanks for having me, Ken. Joey's back. Always. Never left. Joey Caretti. um, He didn't move far, and that's fine. Um, Our special guest today, and she is pretty special, is none other than National Committee woman, Nina Weber. How are you, Nina? Uh, Doing well. Thank you, Ken. In the interest of full disclosure... I think it's important that I point out that Nina and I go back over 20 years. We've been friends for a long time. And there's, that's a two-edged sword. One side of that means that as, as we speak, I'm going to have a certain bias because she's my friend. On the other side of it, though, is because she is my friend, I know her pretty well. And I have a pretty good bearing on her character and I trust her. And so if there's any faith that you have bestowed in me as a host, I would ask that you consider that as we go into this subject. Some of you may have heard that there was an incident that happened west of Cody, a hunting incident in which allegations were brought against Nina for carelessness. Nina, if you would just take a minute and kind of explain what the charges were, what the allegations were, and then we'll get more from there into what happened. Uh, Sure, Ken. On November 30th, there was a large group of us that were hunting in a field, uh, elk hunting, which is a a normal uh, area for uh, for the tag uh, that I had drawn and have have had permission to hunt on this person's private property for quite a few years now. And this was going to be no different. The elk were coming down. Uh, we spotted them, put, basically put them to bed. Uh, that morning, got up. It was a nice cold morning, like 10 degrees. And started out. It was dark. Saw the elk, spotted them, went and got into our positions in the field. And just a, 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 routine, a routine elk hunt, as it should have been. Um, there was, uh, the herd was coming across as they are known to do. And there was a couple of different people that were also in the field. Um, I only knew where I was and anything that I could see from the field. So there was, uh, eight hunters. And to my knowledge, there was, um, at least two, uh, people that were not hunting. And how many of these people were in your party? Uh, six. Okay. Six hunters and two uh, bystanders okay. or um, photographers. I just want to clarify, 
between your, your party were not the only ones on this field. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. There were two other people from like Georgia okay. that were out there. Um, okay. So uh, the outcome across and you know, it's, it's a hundred acre field. It's, it's pretty hard to say, oh gosh, they're in the field and you just start blasting. That's not what happens. Uh, the elk have to be into a certain range. There's a couple of factors in this certain field because uh, part of it, there is um, a, a house on the field. There is a main highway that goes through. And uh, so you have, to, you have to be aware of what's been going on. Uh, from hunting in that field for the last six years, there, there definitely is um, some attractiveness to hunting there. The ease of the animals coming in and out, um, and you definitely have to be aware of your surroundings because you wouldn't want anything, um, anything, anything to go a, into a different way that it wouldn't be safe. And the highway is one of those uh, factors. Sure. So you're there, you're a party of a half dozen folk, and the elk are moving in. The elk are moving in, and there were some uh, a, a couple of guys that were with us. They had the elk were more towards their side of the field and their safety zones, so they took some shots. They had two elk down that I could see. Um, there was probably, I, I think I heard four shots. Uh, I was in a different location, and my um, hunting friend and I were standing there going, well, it, I'm ranging it that looked pretty far, like over 450, 500. I wasn't going to take that shot, and he claimed that he wasn't either, so we didn't. We wanted to wait till the elk got a little bit closer to our side of the field. Um, there were, uh, somebody else had come down into the field, and I didn't know it at the time, but I knew once I saw their trucks that there were, um, uh, they were from a, a neighboring house. And they had come in and made, I, I, allegedly they had made a complaint. Um, how do I know this? I had received a phone call from Scott. And he had said, uh, I don't know what's going on, but the neighbors are saying that they um, heard some shots fired. And I said, well, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I bet they did, um, but that, that wasn't it. They, they, it was more precise that they heard and fired towards them. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we know what the safety zone is. And I said, my remark was I hadn't even shot yet. Um, a little while later, uh, the elk were still milling around. There was the, the first two shots, then there was uh, two elk down, then there was another group that had come in and shot at the elk as they had moved towards the, I guess, towards the trees. Okay, this other group that came in. They were still part of our, that was okay. still our, okay. our hunting friends uh, that had came in. Yeah, the elk were not down towards, the, we were by, I guess, on the river side. So I was waiting for them to come over. There came a point when a small um, herd kind of split around and turned back and there was my opportunity. And it looked a little far for me when before I shot, I ranged at 450 and I wasn't gonna take the shot. And the elk kept moving towards me, which I thought, well, this is pretty good. Um, at a point, the elk stopped. Um, there was uh, the one that I was going to shoot at was away from the herd uh, just a little bit. And I took a shot. My spotter, who was right beside me, had said, 
you hit dirt. And I said, what? I racked it in and shot again. He says, you're hitting dirt. I said, okay. Um, I said, I'm not really sure what's going on, but I'm not shooting anymore. So at that point, I was done shooting. Um, a, some minutes later, the elk were still milling around, and I talked to, to my friend, and I said, hey, um, it looks like they're going to get out of our range. Let's just walk along the tree area, and let's see what happens. And as we were walking, it just happened that there was a, the elk herd, a small elk herd, uh, was walking in front of us, and I said, it looks like one of us or both of us are going to get our chance. And I said, um, why don't you come up and, and take a shot? So, and he was looking and he goes, oh, yep, I think there's a, you know, there's a yearling I can take. And he came up and he, you know, was on a fence post and took a shot and the elk fell. And um, that was pretty much it. I wanted to take another shot at a at an elk and get and to harvest and fill my tag but that wasn't possible. At that point there was a um, an, a known blue truck that I had seen out there before and these were these guys from Georgia and they were driving down the road and into the area so I was unable to do that so I was okay with that. So they they obviously heard or saw what was going on and then moved your direction? Very possible. Okay. They so took you... an opportunity, and I guess that was that that okay. that's what it is. And out of you know respect for the landowners who I know quite well, they um, let people. They want people to hunt there. Mm-hmm. You know they um, work with the game and fish, and the elk have been eating down their hay fields for years. So one of the ways that you get uh, reimbursed for some of that is that you allow hunting in your field. Sure. So, and this is what these folks do, and it's legal, and and they like it, and they like that we all coordinate, and everything, um, and everybody is coordinating with everybody. So, we have a, a, a picture here, and I think most of the folks in this room have been in similar situations where you're out there spotting stock, and you take a shot when you can, and there are other people in the area and they may not have the same ethics that you share i'm not trying to impugn anybody i'm just trying to draw a picture and things get a little bit confusing so anyway what happens after that you so after that you know the the game warden um, who actually witnessed the whole event um, I didn't know he was there before dark, um, but I knew he was there at shoot time. Uh, and how do I know? Because I saw his truck. He witnessed everything. Um, I did know that the sheriff were going to be called early on um, because of the complaint from the neighbors and the sheriff's deputies. There were two trucks that pulled up. Um, there was the game and fish person. And there were some other people, I don't know if they were the neighbors or the people that worked there, I'm not really sure. But the complaint didn't come from the landowners, it came from people living in that area. It came from people living in that area, correct. So um, I, at still at this point, you know what, we are still part of, uh, my friend had just shot a, an elk and we had some work to do. One was to get it. So that was um, pretty entertaining. I mean, if anybody would drive by, they would say, wow, I wish I would have been there because it certainly looked like a lot of people um, were going to have meat in the freezer. So I have a question, Nina. 
so you took a couple shots. So can you just give us some geography? You know, the, the complaint was made that, you know, from the neighbor's house, and you shot at an elk. You missed it a couple times, shot low. Um, can you just tell us, like, where you were shooting from in relation to the neighbor's house? Oh, sure. So in, uh, on this property, there is some, um, you know, the guy does some farming. There are some old farming equipment. And where I was is I was nestled in some farm equipment, like seated in between the tires in this farm equipment. We're in conjunction to where the house was. It's over like 980 yards away. So uh, also with the field, it's like a like a soup bowl. Um, you know, if you're looking straight at it, it looks like it's pretty even all the way across. But you get in it and walk, and you kind of walk down into a little bowl, and most of it is down below, and then the sides come up. Uh, it's kind of weird, but that is how it is. So my question was, were yes. you shooting in the same direction as the house? No. No, the house was near the highway. The neighbor's house is near the highway. So I, I was not. The highway is well marked. It's an area that I have, I've been in this field for six years. It's an area I know whether it's snowing, whether it's uh, sunshine, whether the wind's blowing 70 miles an hour. No, So just, just one, more, one more question, then I'll let you continue. So the shot that you took, and you know, all, of us are, all of us in this room are hunters. Would you say that the shot you took was a responsible one that you would take it again if you had the chance and your your gun was actually sighted incorrectly? Uh, the the two shots that I took uh, were very responsible. One, there was I wasn't in a direction of the houses or people. Um, also, there were four horses running around out there, um, nor the horses. Uh, the two shots I took were were very safe. Um, the distance was a went back out there and walked it with a ballistics expert and i feel like the distance was right around 400. my gun is sighted in for 100 100 yards were um, you were you in a position to accurately witness any other shots that were taken you mentioned some people in your party took a couple of shots i would i could witness the first the first two elk that were harvested i witnessed that the second two elk that were harvested, I heard that. Mm -hmm. The one that my, my friend took that I was hunting with, of course I witnessed that. Uh, the people from Georgia, they took uh, harvested two elk. I heard those shots. But you couldn't tell at all where the, where the shooter was or what direction they were firing? Um, from the direction, the only people I couldn't tell where they were is I couldn't tell where the people in the blue truck were because okay. they were down past my sight. Okay. But everybody else was, um, uh, these are people that uh, I have hunted with for at least six years. I mean, there was, well, there was, uh, excuse me, there was um, one guy that I had never hunted with before. So you've got some elk down? Time, got elk down. Time to gut them. Um, that's when the work starts. It's when the fun starts. <laughs> well, you call it fun. I call it work. <laughs> we've, we've had that difference of opinion for many years. I think we have. <laughs> yes. Yes, we have. But anyway, uh, 
what happens then? Obviously, I mean, you mentioned that there's a game warden there that witnessed all this. So what goes down from there? How, so when what, do you know things are starting to go sideways? What I see is the game warden doing his job, which is he comes in and he starts at the, you know, at, at, at the point he walks in and he's talking to those hunters. He's, I'm assuming he's checking their tags to make sure, hey, do you got the right one? Do you have permission to be here? Stuff like that. Um, the last person he gets to is um, the person I was hunting with. And he asked him, you know, to see his license. And that was really the conversation. Now, um, he just, did not say anything to me. Just just one aside. All of these people that you were hunting with, were you in any way acting as a guide or in, in that capacity? Or were this just mutual people that you're hunting with? Uh, I have friends that I hunt with, no guiding. Okay. Yeah, I so think you, you have to be a part of a, an association to do that, don't you? And have certain training. I'm, I don't have any of that. Okay. You have to have a guiding license, don't you? They, yes. Yeah, there are licenses and other things depending on the circumstances. But there's also kind of informal, hey, you know, this is my this is my backyard. This is a place I know I've been six for six years. Come with me and I'll show you that. So... Besides I the one guy, everybody else has hunted there. Yeah. So uh, that was part of what I wanted to establish because my recollection in reading the news articles oh, was that, and we all know how much confidence we put in the accuracy of, of reporters, but that this was a group under your guidance that you took them out there and then just all hell erupted. You know, that was kind of the story that, that I read in the papers. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've known you for a long time. And when I read that, I said, that's, that's not the Nina that I know. Well, they so, made it sound like the elk showed up and then everybody just yeah, opened up. just all and hell that, broke loose. Evidently, that's not what happened. That is not what happened. Everything, uh, the group, uh, my friends that I hunt with, were very respectful and very knowledgeable of the field. We had been out there. We walked the field. We walked behind where the river was, uh, definitely pointed out. Again, even if they have been there before, here's the highway. Here's the traffic pattern. Uh, here's people will be going to work. There might be school buses. We went through. Horses. And, and definitely yeah. the horses. And we went through everything. And, and even the stuff that, um, is, that could happen. Uh, that place has coyotes and also grizzly bear. So we talked about that, and uh, just to make sure everybody was on the same page, you have to be alert. So we're gutting the elk. The so, game warden's going out doing the checks. He gets to the person you were hunting with. Take us from there. Yes, uh, asked him for his license, and that was pretty much it. He showed that he had the license and said he had permission to be there, and then uh, the game warden walked off. After that, I had did seen— he, Did he speak to you at all? Did he uh, check you? Uh, no, I didn't harvest an animal. Okay. He probably saw that as well. Thank um, you. So after that, the deputy was coming around, and we were still getting, uh, still getting the elk. So the deputy, uh, according to me, talked to everybody else first, and then comes over, and he was asking a couple of questions, and it, mostly where were you? When did you shoot? And I'm like, I this is what this is where I was. And he goes, Could you take me over there? Um, and there's you know nothing to say. Why would you not take somebody over there? And showed him the direction that I shot in. 
in what my spotter had said, which was you're hitting the dirt and then you're hitting the dirt and then doing the responsible thing is that you're like, okay, there's something up here. Um, so I didn't think really didn't think anything of it. The deputy then, uh, he, he called me and wanted to have a, well, let me back up one second. After we talked a little bit, he then asked more questions, um, wanting to know a whole bunch of, of other questions. Where were you? Where were you standing? I thought some of the questions were kind of odd. I don't think he had spent in any time with anybody else. And that's just me watching him walk this field where everybody else was getting. I thought it, I, I kind of thought, well, gosh, this is kind of weird. And I thought, well, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even harvest an elk. So I knew something was kind of weird before I left the field. Uh, the que- there was just a, an awful lot of questions, um, and it, they were only directed towards me. Hmm. Uh, they weren't directed towards the other person that was in the vehicle. They weren't, uh, that was a witness. Uh, there were two witnesses, and they said that they weren't asked any questions. Interesting. And that was before we left the field. Uh, we did load the elk up, and we took them to process them. So after that, um, I came back into the field because the elk were still around and I still wanted to harvest an elk. So I was back in the field and the sheriff, the sheriff's deputy is there and he wants to have more conversation with me. And I'm like, um, well, I don't have anything else to say. Um, and I knew that, okay, there's, there's, this is something weird. After that conversation, um, I called a friend of mine who's a ballistics expert and asked him to meet me in the field. Cause I knew right then and there that, that this is just too odd and weird. And I thought, okay, something's up. I, I want to take at this point, this juncture, I want to take a step back. And because some people may not know, you know, I introduced you as uh, the state committee woman. National. National, yes. Sorry, I'll correct that. I introduced you as the national committee woman, but you also ran for office. Yes, I did for... Uh, so uh, it's not like you're somebody that nobody might know. So, so tell us a little bit about running for office very briefly. Uh, very briefly, it was House District 24. Um, it's in the area that I live in, and they could certainly use some good representation, and I have a good feeling that I'll be running again. Well, there you go. There's there's a little exclusive. We'll pretend for the time being we didn't hear that. But so it, the point is that you were a, a bit of a political figure. You were not necessarily just an unknown and and you received this scrutiny that seems a little bit odd. So there's some history with uh, the county Republican Party uh, running for office, being part of conservative groups in, in that county and the county that I came from. And, you know, uh, yeah, I can say that um, if if you're going to be a Republican, then you follow the Republican Party platform. And if you're not and you're asked about why you're voting a certain way or I think you owe it to the people who are voting 
that you represent in the district to give them an answer. Okay, fair enough. I just wanted to establish to anybody listening to this that you were a political figure, and then this scrutiny comes about. So you've gone back to the field a second time? Yes. And the sheriff's deputy is there. The same sheriff's deputy is is there. Um, I I thought it was kind of odd. Um, I was... Was anybody else with you? Uh, yes, yes, actually there was. I had a, a, a friend of mine that I had called from town, and uh, he said that he was still, you know, looking for elk. And I said, hey, I know that I'm going. I know where I'm going. Your tag works here, and you, you already talked to these landowners. He goes, yes, I did. I said, you want to go? And he said, yeah. So we met at the bottom uh, of my driveway, so to speak, and then we drove over. And there was somebody else with me, and it was, uh, he's ex-law enforcement, and he too thought it was odd that the sheriff's deputy was back in the field or making it a point to come over to ask me more questions. Um, And he was surprised as ex-law enforcement. He had, I mean, he just said, you don't really need to talk to him anymore. And I chose not to at that point. So what happens from then, that evening, any any so, luck? Did you get, get to kill an elk? Um, so the elk did not come into the area that I had access to hunt. So I just kind of got to watch them for a couple of hours. Uh, but what happened after that was the ballistic experts did show up. And we did watch. I gave him a rundown of everything that I knew. And he, he's somebody who uh, I trust a lot. And he came in, and, and he's just like, okay, okay, here's, you know, he walked the field. Uh, we were by the implements every step of the way. Um, and he says, yep, I'll be able to do that. He says, well, I'm going to need your rifle. I said, sure. And he goes, what do you have it sighted in at? And I said, I have it sighted in for 100 yards. And I said, here's the rifle. He looked it over, wanted to know the ammo and the, the type, and it was um, everything. So he was able to... Uh, give me at least some some things that were just like well this is step one you know because obviously I felt like this would go further Uh, the deputy had um, called me at the house and had said you know uh, wanted to ask other questions and I just um, didn't want to give him any more information I didn't think it was in my best interest to do that as I felt that the questions were really one-sided and from talking to some of the other hunters, nobody else had said they were called or contacted. Um, so it's very interesting at this juncture that they're focusing on you, even though you didn't harvest. You took two shots. You didn't have a harvest. Didn't kill anything. And yet you're the you're the one they're focusing on. That that to me is significant. Well, it's your first red flag that this has very little to do with hunting. I think you're right, David. So um, a couple of days later, the deputy calls me and has, uh, he says, well, I'd like to talk to you again. And I said, um, well, that's not going to be possible until this day where I would be into town. And he said, well, what are you doing? So I was working and he says, well, I want to come in and, and talk to you. And I had, I just flat asked him, I said, is this, is, you still want to talk to me about what happened on November 30th? And he said, yes. So a week later, he comes to where I work at, and he um, issues me the citation for reckless endangerment. 
And that, did they arrest you? They did not. He wanted a signature and said, um, uh, he made it seem like it was just no big deal. And I was like, oh, really? Um, and let me back up just to, just to say something that now that we, now that you asked that, um, in the beginning on November 30th, the same deputy, um, had said to two of the hunters at the very beginning, I don't know who's getting a citation, but somebody's getting, getting a citation. I thought that was odd because there was no investigation and there was some hearsay about the neighbors saying they heard cracking, a cracking noise. I, I don't know what that means. Well, well I do. <laughs> well, if you read the newspaper, not the newspaper, but the article in the cow pie is the one that I read. Yeah. It sounded like your neighbors were hiding under a hail of yeah. bullets and yeah. we were somewhere in, you know, Kiev or something. All hell broke loose. The elk came out and you guys just opened fire with total reckless abandon to what was beyond there and a hail of bullets forced them to take cover. Well, it's funny that the word reckless keeps coming up because it is the specific charge. But I want to go to what you just said. When when an officer says, I don't know who is getting a citation, but somebody's getting a citation, and this is my crazy out and left field, hey, wait a minute, I'm picking this out. Regardless of the situation, that is not justice. That is an attempt at revenue collection. I don't know who. At best, it's revenue I collection. I have no readily apparent probable cause to believe a specific individual committed a crime and I have no evidence to support it but somebody's either paying us or showing up in court and being uncomfortable that is not justice what what I'm Agreed. seeing is and I don't know who it was that that called on that but let's be frank there are certain people in any county that carry more weight than others if I call today as a, as a legislator, if I call the police and say there's some su suspicious activity, they're here within minutes. Right. Five years ago, when I wasn't known from Adam, they might be too busy. I understand so, that. So when I'm looking at this situation, somebody called them and alerted them. Whoever that somebody was must have had some influence. Because I understand Wapiti, as, as a city and I use that term very loosely, um, Wapiti as a community is 20, 30 minutes. You got to go through the canyon. You got to through the tunnel and all that. You know, it's not mm -hmm. just right there where most of these resources would be. And yet because of some person's complaint, they were there not only at that incident, but they remained and hung out I hate to paint a, a negative picture on on any sheriff's department or any other such thing, but it it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck when I hear that they were there that quickly, that a game warden was already watching. They're, they're, all of these things are just starting to align into what I might call a perfect storm. Especially, again, I mentioned that we keep mentioning recklessly. The specific charge is interesting. Reckless endangering has very short statute, but the definition of reckless in the statute in Title VI, recklessly is defined as the following conduct. A person acts recklessly when they consciously disregard 
a substantial and unjustifiable risk that the harm they are accused of causing will occur and the harm results. So was anybody injured? Was there anybody was, killed? There was nothing like that that was happened. Was any property damaged? There well, was there no was property damage. There well, was. They were no- licensed by the state to kill those elk. Yes. yes. So let's, right. we're talking, I know you're being funny, but I'm talking about, you know, we said earlier, words matter. And we have an officer of the law looking for something. And what they choose is reckless endangerment when the statutory definition of reckless is not being met because True. the lesser charge, which probably still would have been appropriate, of criminal neglect, you're being irresponsible with a firearm, making somebody feel something, might have been easier to prosecute, or what they sounded like they wanted to do but thought they couldn't get, which is aggravated assault with a firearm. Which is, they wow. knew they couldn't get that either. But by definition, would have been more appropriate charge for what they were saying happened because the definition of reckless was never met. Because if the definition of reckless is met, then you have evidence of it right there. You have an injured person, you have a dead person, you have a bullet in somebody's private property. And there was none of that. There was no bullet. There was uh, nothing retrievable. There was some hearsay. And according to the, the report that I was given after the where you go and enter your plea agreement, um, it, there were all these people that thought they heard something. And, but but there, yet there was nothing. There was nothing there. So why do you think that was that you were charged? If there was no evidence of the crime that meets the definition of what they charge you with, they charge you anyway. Why do you think you were charged? I think there's a, a couple of factors that were going on. I think that the the previous sheriff and I and in his family, we, we're not friends. We have uh, butted heads together politically for quite a few years. I think it could have been that. Um, I think the neighbors who have called the game and fish every year I've been hunting in that field, I think there's something there. Maybe they don't want the elk. Um, they don't want the elk hunted. So wait, hold on, let me just stop you right there, Nina. So you just said that the game and fish has been called every year that you've been hunting in yes. the field. Has it been that the game and fish gets called when someone is hunting in the field or when Nina Weber is hunting in the field? I can only tell you that every year I've hunted in that field, game and fish is there. And they were there this time, as you pointed out. Yes. They witnessed the entire thing. Significant, I think. Because I've I've hunted all over the state in all kinds of circumstances, and it's pretty rare when there's a game warden around. Absolutely. It's a I mean, big state. I've bird hunted in this state and other states, and uh, it, I've rarely seen anything okay. like this. But there's also a difference between the crazy or hypersensitive neighbor who's always calling the police or some kind of official representative of the government in some facet and them coming out, okay. But when the representatives of our government are taking action, that's a different thing. And I believe it has to do with there is some political capital in putting a person, even if they end up being innocent and the charges are dropped later, that interim between being charged and the resolution of it, there is political capital in that for people's enemies. So I don't know. Yeah, the neighbors might be crazy, but a law enforcement agency did this through official channels in contradiction to the definition of 
the words in the statute they used. And there had to have been a reason and a benefit. And if it wasn't a benefit to the people, it wasn't a benefit to justice, and there was no revenue collected because oftentimes, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry, laws are written and enforced specifically for revenue collection, then that really only leaves one other thing. And that was to make it more difficult for you to be successful being you with a clean name, at least during that interim. Well, could and be that's that. my opinion, and I'm willing yeah. to take all the slings and arrows for that. So let me, let me jump in here, if I may. The reason, Joey, that you're here is because you are a victim, I would call it, of a similar kind of circumstance. Yes. The reason that you were... <laughs> The reason that you had right at your disposal and your knowledge the definition of reckless, for example, is because there were charges brought against you at some point. And that's, that's frankly why I brought you in here, was I think there's a little bit of a parallel, and I just want to explore that a little bit. And so um, just to jump in really quick, uh, Joey, did you happen to read what the penalties were if you were convicted of reckless endangerment for the charge? It, it says that the only penalty is up to one year in jail. Up to one year in jail. No, no fine. Well, later in the statute, there is a section that says any, a violation of any of the previous statutes that don't have a fine specifically assigned to them is an automatic $750 maximum. But right. in that specific statute, there's only two portions, uh, an A and B portion of reckless endangering, and then the third portion is the penalty, which only says up to not more than a year. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. All this other stuff they ask for or the prosecutor expects to have happen isn't actually in the law. So if I may... I, I want to move this along so that somebody who's listening can understand why these people are here. Tell us just briefly, Joe, what your story is, what happened to you, and then we'll kind of work on the parallels if they actually exist or not. Um, I was at a private residence helping somebody move into their new home who was moving into their new home to get away from what was described to me as their drunken, violent husband um, there was history on paper previous charges of domestic violence this person is known to me uh, as a drinker and and a violent person so I'm at that residence uh, helping this individual move into their new home uh, he shows up drunk parks halfway across the yard and gets into a conversation luckily I had the wherewithal to as soon as I saw him pull up hit record on my phone, so we have audio of this. Uh, words were exchanged. He was asked to leave. I believe the count was 17 times in less than three minutes. Told to get off the property, leave. Not by me. I kept my mouth shut. Um, he, in my opinion, attempted to escalate, reached out. She retreated into the house from the porch where we were. I stood in the doorway. Um, words were exchanged. I was criminally assaulted. He punched me in the face. I spun around, halfway around, reached into my waistband, immediately pulled out a firearm, pointed at him, told him, I don't want to, but I will put you down. Don't hit me again. Leave the property. Believing I was completely within my rights, 
on private property defending another person had just been criminally assaulted and that individual's intent in my mind was to enter the home unlawfully he lead, or he comes at me wrestles for the gun shots fired over his head um, he runs off leaves he's charged with criminal assault he pleads guilty I am his victim. I have a victim's advocate. The judge orders him to pay restitution for my broken glasses. Uh, orders him, uh, what do they call it, order of protection. He's not allowed to harass or involve himself with me at all. Fine. So that was the beginning of October back in 2021. Mid-December, sheriff's deputy shows up at my house. And hands me a summons saying I'm being charged with reckless endangerment under the B part of the statute, which is knowingly pointing a firearm, whether you believe it's loaded or not, at another individual. That's what I was originally charged with. And so I read it. I think the uh, the deputy I chuckled, shut the door, and then it turned into other things. The interesting thing to me was I was already, as Nina's established with her, I was already a political figure prior to the original incident but between the beginning of October when I was criminally assaulted and the beginning of, or the middle of December when I was actually served and apparently they'd been trying to serve me for about two and a half weeks just couldn't find me not hard to find literally have my name on the side of my car during this time but um, the end of November we had a state committee meeting in Buffalo where I forwarded and brought to the State Central Committee the second resolution dealing with former Representative Cheney, and we passed the resolution that formally no longer recognized her as a Republican. Two weeks later, I'm served with a criminal court summons, and they had been looking for me for two weeks to serve that. So almost immediately after that meeting, Somehow, some way, and I had a few conversations with a few people in that room that were a little heated, and they are members of the bar. I have no doubt, my personal opinion, conversations were had amongst their little cabal of, you know, professional jurists, but I faced that, and uh, I went and I pled not guilty. I immediately filed a complaint against the prosecutor, because not only had he been the prosecutor that handled the criminal assault against me he's also the prosecutor that for no reason that can be found in record dismissed the domestic violence charges against the same individual earlier that same year and took all of his basis for his charges from a telephone not even interview a telephone conversation he had with me as the victim of an assault i wasn't mirandized I wasn't under the impression that I was being looked at or charged with a crime. All of a sudden, because it's within the statute of limitation, charges are valid. So I asked the judge if uh, I could please represent myself, because you know the old saying, any, any lawyer that has himself as a client has a fool for a client, but I'm looking at these charges that even a fool can beat this charge. And... Uh, the first and only thing they really asked for on bond was they didn't want money. They wanted my guns. Wow. After four and a half months of not being served 
known I was under investigation or being charged with anything, not even having as much as a parking ticket. Now I am so criminally dangerous in their mind or have the potentiality for it that that four months of not doing anything wrong doesn't matter. They need to take my guns now. And luckily we had a very good judge in Carver County, still practices uh, on the bench or still serves on the bench. And she said exactly what I just said. No, Mr. Karenny has, has been free, not even without bond. Didn't even know he was charged and has had no problems. So he's going to go ahead and keep his firearms. Wow. So, so we move forward a little bit. And as my own attorney, I have to deal with the prosecutor and have uh, settlement conferences and scheduling conferences. And I, I tried to make a deal. I said, listen, what do you really want? You know, because my concern is the court's time and the taxpayer's money. And he said, there is no deal that you get out of this and get your guns. I said, I, I, I still have my guns. What do you mean get my guns? I have my guns. He's like, I have the one. Well, the one they confiscated the night I was assaulted. I said, well, yeah, you have that one. But I still have my rights, my liberty uh, to have firearms. And he's like, well, there's no way. I said, well, then there's no point in us talking. Nothing else matters. I will go to jail. That's how you're going to get my right to have, possess firearms. You're going to have to put me in prison. And so the judge, we did back and forth. I did a filed a motion to dismiss. Uh, the prosecutor filed a rebuttal of about five pages. I filed a reply to his rebuttal of about 13 pages. And then the judge called us in and said, I'm going to schedule a conference for dismissal. You need to be prepared on this date, this date, and by the way, and I have this recording if people don't believe me. Uh, it's part of the transcript. The judge said, Mr. Crenny, we've looked and we know it's not Wyoming. We need to know what state it is you've practiced law in before because of the content of my rebuttal. And I said, I, I, I'm not a lawyer. I, I just have a lot of free time. I like to read and understand liberty. And she said, well, I'm going to let you continue acting as your own attorney. Um, and, and so I apologize for assuming that you were a lawyer. Uh, I said, okay. So the dismissal hearing comes. Prosecution brings out their star criminal witness, the guy that criminally assaulted me. Um, of course, I get to cross-examine and I pull out the court document from the higher court, the district court, where they found that in a five-page document talking about who he is and what he's done and what the court feels about him, they mentioned him being a violent alcoholic or at least abuser of drugs and alcohol and engager in violence. I believe it was 19 times in just those few pages. Uh, prosecutor didn't like that. He wanted it dismissed. It's not actual evidence. I argued that it's a public document from this very courthouse in fact probably in the file you have on this guy in your office right now that you won't share with me which i believe is a brady violation they would not share his criminal history with me i had to go find it myself okay and so it was a lot of tit for tat back and forth during that dismissal hearing and i probably wasn't on my a game because just before i walked into court for that dismissal hearing i was presented with the second charge so I arrive in court for the plea hearing on the reckless endangerment charge, which is specifically pointing a weapon at another individual knowingly. As I walk into court, the court deputy hands me another piece of paper, and it is a second charge. And it's of the A statute, which is the actual reckless endangering without self-defense, because they know now 
with as well written as my rebuttal was that I have a fully functional argument for self-defense even without the stand your ground at a home. I was criminally assaulted. I didn't hit him back. I pointed a gun to stop it. So now I'm charged with the reckless endangerment of the general public, the potential death or serious injury of somebody that I couldn't have been defending myself against. So the first part of the uh, hearing is the judge stating this charge is under the same statute. It's just the first part of the statute. So I'm going to allow this dismissal hearing to consider both. Well, I'm not ready to argue it. I was charged as I walked in the door. But this dismissal hearing now stands as all charges because it looks like the first initial charge is going to be dropped. Before I even have anything that I can say, the prosecutor immediately speaks up, says, well, if we're considering the new charge in this hearing, I would like to request that Mr. Kareny's firearms be taken to him because he's now facing a second charge of firearm. I believe he said violence, but with no victim, no injury, no property damage, there there couldn't have been any violence. Anytime you pull a trigger, is it violence? No. Sometimes it's target. Sometimes it's hunting. And that's all I was... Uh, actually admitting to having done. So we're looking at another situation where at the most convenient opportunity, which they are now creating, they are saying, we're take, we want your guns. We're not doing anything until we take your guns. Oh, gosh. So when I went for the plea hearing in uh, Park County, uh, this was before we had even the, the deputies write up or anything. Um, the plea hearing was there. And one of the things that came out of the plea hearing from the... Uh, from the prosecuting attorney was uh, that they wanted to take the guns, my guns. And uh, I said to my attorney, I said, absolutely not. I said, that doesn't work for me ever. I said, I live in the mountains. We have grizzlies up there. We have coyotes. We have other predators. We have, I said, that does not work for me. And he had uh, made some comments to the judge about, uh, well, she has a safe. She can put her, put her guns in a safe. So they said, uh, the judge had said, well, um, okay, how about this then? If, it, if something about if it's agreeable with the, attorney, uh, the prosecuting attorney about the center fire rifle to be kept in the safe. And I said, I, and my attorney and I were sitting right next to each other. I said, I, I can keep that in the safe. And I also said about, you know, the, I live in the mountains it's, it could be dangerous up there. And he said, uh, my attorney said, said those words. And the judge had then said, well, you can keep the center fire rifle locked up and not use that. And you can go ahead and still use your shotguns and all of your handguns. That doesn't have, make any sense. I have everything from a 22 to a 45. And more. And, and more. So it's placation of the liberal class at the most minor degree possible of the specific weapon that may be in question for this non-crime incident With no is proof. the only thing that you have to have locked up, but we're still not going to take it from you. We're charging you with being reckless and dangerous, but we're going to trust you to lock up this one rifle and be totally safe. But we still think, because they have to have an honest belief that you're guilty of the crime you're charged with, they believe you're reckless and dangerous, 
but they're comfortable with just the one firearm being locked up. I mean, it's but we don't have a red flag law, guys. Well, we don't need a red flag I mean, law. There is we no have law. red flag processes. Perhaps, but the point he, point I'm trying to make is in Wyoming, there is no process to where they can take your guns away. In fact, there are lots of processes that say they can't, and yet here yet we they have, do. and yet here we have two instances where yours, Joey, when they said, "Well, you're not getting out of this with your guns," and in mm-hmm. Nina's case, the idiotic prosecutor says, "Well, you know, she can't have her center fire rifle, not to mention <laughs> the probably hundred other guns that are in your house." Well, let me let me ask let me ask you why why don't they need the law? Because either the judge will sentence or mandate. Or more likely, it'll be part of the plea agreement, like in Nina's case. This one thing has to be locked up. And at the end of that discussion, hearing, you sign a paper. You gave up your right to do that willfully. Nobody ordered you. Now, it may seem like in the conversation you were ordered to, but the judge at the end, I guarantee, asked you, said, do you agree to these terms? And you said yes, and you signed a piece of paper. I refuse to say yes or let that be on the paper I signed. And I'm not saying that's what happened in your case. That's what I normally see with people. The problem is the argument doesn't come up equilaterally. The individual that criminally assaulted me and pled guilty and the judge put an order of protection on, that prosecutor never asked for his guns. And in fact, the entire time he was living two blocks from me for the eight months that he wasn't allowed to vex or harass me or he'd be going straight to jail... That whole time, he was allowed to keep his... Nobody even asked for him, and he had him the whole time. And that brings up the second issue that we're, that we're talking about here, that it was that this, it's overzealous prosecution because the people prosecuting your, you are not your political allies. That's and, exactly yeah. what it is. And I, I, wrote, yes. I wrote a part in my rebuttal of, this is not seeking justice, this is seeking a conviction. You're looking for something that you can argue on paper that you think... I won't be able to defend against because if you truly wanted justice, this guy would have no guns and be in jail and you'd be thanking me for my service. Well, didn't the judge also tell you, Joey, that you're the most controlled? <laughs> Eventually. What, what ended up happening, the, the second charge, the, the, the judge wasn't able to make a decision at the end of the uh, hearing for this dismissal because she had another case. People were coming in. Uh, so she said, you know, write your summations and your closing arguments and I'll consider them. And so we, we turned them in and it took quite a few weeks. Trial was looming. I think it was a week and a half before, uh, two weeks before trial. And the judge said, I'm not going to dismiss this case because of the second charge. I believe there's sufficient evidence in the argument. I'm paraphrasing, uh, that there was an attack and that the first charge should be dismissed, but because the act in the first charge caused the act that justifies the second charge, I think we need to send it to a jury. Okay, well, now we're going to trial. And this is the first smart move this prosecutor made. Finding out he was going to have to go to trial with me, he quit his job and left the county. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't blame him. If I had to go to court against me, I'd run and hide too. So he is now doing things other places, and he left the uh, office in pretty bad shape with uh, a lot of cases that he was just kind of going after for his own, this is my opinion. So I met the new prosecutor, uh, 
completely different. He said, listen, when we go and we talk to the judge, if you want to do a plea agreement, uh, I will ask for your firearms because that's what the county attorney expects. You can make a legal argument, and based on what the judge has said so far, I think you'll be able to keep your guns. But as part of the plea agreement, I'm going to say during sentencing, we want to take your guns because that's the expectation of our county attorney. There's also this and this. And I said, well, so we're basically going to have another hearing and we're just going to be arguing over sentencing. And he said, I said, bet. We're just going to argue about the particulars because I will not plead guilty to making that person my victim. I will not plead guilty to something I did under the protection of stand your ground, the second amendment and my right to liberty life. Maybe this didn't have anything to do with happiness, but, but the argument that I may have put somebody in public and remember I served the people at this time as, you know, I wasn't publicly elected, but I was responsible to the people directly um, because there was a highway within what I agreed the legitimate trajectory was of the round I fired. And the people drive on that highway. And I don't know who was on that highway, even though the highway is at the apex of the shot. Could not have possibly, but I would have to agree. And I said this in court. I could make a great legal argument that I didn't put anybody in danger. But my integrity will not allow me to make the moral argument saying I know for a fact nobody was put in danger by my action. And that's what I'm pleading guilty to. And so she allowed the guilty plea to go through. She... Uh, the judge stated that given the situation in her years on the bench, she's never seen anybody more responsible, restrained, and uh, reacting appropriately. Yeah, you're under... getting beat in the face. Well, that's the other thing the county prosecutor or the county attorney or their prosecutor could never provide me. I asked for, where's the Carbon County uh, attorney's matrix for how many times does an innocent person have to be punched in the face before they're allowed to defend themselves at what rate? The F around and find out matrix and they still haven't been able to provide that for me. Uh, but yeah, um, she was quite impressed with how I had handled myself and then how I conducted myself in court. Um, and I stick to my original statement, the original charges I was facing at the time, this fool who had himself as a client beat those charges. And I, I don't believe I pled guilty to doing anything dangerous. I pled guilty to a concept that would make it difficult for me to face myself in the mirror, whether I was facing myself in a prison mirror or my bathroom mirror for the wow. next two years. They still tried to come after my guns a third time when the sentencing, after saying all that, almost tearfully, taking full responsibility, not only for my actions, but for my contribution to my own life that produced that situation where I chose to do these things. And... You guys know me. Uh, since that time, I've gone through a lot of changes, personally, yes, spiritually, physically. I've done a lot of work because I really did consider. I made a deal with the judge. She said, do you agree to these terms? And I said, yes, I do. Not like I'm going to spend 18 months on probation trying to find a way to get away with stuff. She said, don't go into bars. I said, I'm a DJ. I work in bars. She said, okay. And she wrote it right there, except for the purposes of employment. So I didn't go out drinking. I didn't go and do all this, but I kept my guns. And she stated, because I was so responsible and there was no doubt in her mind that I handled that situation as, as well as anybody could. And then I kind of asked a question and she did answer. I'm not going to say this is an official statement of the court or position of the state, but when I said, 
I just want to clarify, I am pleading guilty to putting that round out into public and not into my attacker. And she says, yeah. So what I really took away from it is they're going to try to prosecute you, especially if you're effective at anything that they don't like. They are going to come after your guns, even if they don't intend to legitimately prosecute you. They'll harass you with it just to get your guns. And I have a case where a judge said, no warning shots next time. If they're going to come take your guns, take your guns for using them. And that's what I will demand of them. Adjudicate me guilty of an actual crime. Put me in jail. Because that is probably the only way you're going to have me say, I don't like it, but that is our system. They made me a felon, and I'm in jail, so I get why I can't have guns right now. But other than that, know what you're doing. And anything aside from something that has up to a year in jail, get a lawyer for. Definitely get a, a lawyer. A real one. Oh, well... <laughs> Be very real careful one. with the attorneys you pick. Well, has, had, I, had I taken the public defender, I would have been in even worse shape. I was in yeah. better shape defending myself because the next person on the list who constantly comes up in Carver County is Charles Pelkey. And he would have made sure I went and did jail and lost my guns while defending me. Because that's just who he is as a person. Because he can't separate his personal feelings from his law practice. Now, the biggest problem is not the fact that this happens. The problem, everyone says, oh, it's in law, it's red flags, it's this, it's what you did versus a perception. So, no, the problem is we have people that are selectively prosecuting individuals because of who they are, relating it to guns, and even the prosecutors aren't 100% responsible. It's the county attorneys. This is where we fix it. We talk about all this other stuff. Well, we don't have red flags, so we can't take the red flag laws off the books. There aren't any. We have got to be actively involved and hold accountable the people we elect to office. And this isn't just a political thing. This is now a liberty thing. Exactly right. So, Nina. County attorney signed off on every action this guy took. Nina, what was the final disposition of your case? The final disposition um, after going through uh, a few months in... uh, a little bit of money, like a lot of money and stress. And, you know, you're worried that you're going to go to jail um, and you didn't do anything wrong. And I felt like it was partially a political hit job when there partially? was... Partially? There was no... <laughs> there was no proof, no evidence. There was some hearsay of some neighbors. And then publicly... Um, and I know Joey knows how this is. And, and I'm sure Ken and you too, David, you walk down the street and you get to hear about it and uh i didn't really care for all that the final disposition of my case was this it was dismissed with prejudice so that they could never bring that back again dismissed with prejudice that is very significant absolutely it is i don't know how many times that's been done in that county if at all one of the things that happened right after that is that um, i did bring a complaint to the newly elected sheriff on the deputy. And we did go through uh, a couple of of basics. I have zero law enforcement background, but I understand a couple of things. One, there was no timeline. He didn't interview all of the people. I believe he was told something and he went with it. I don't think this deputy has 
uh, I, he could be a good deputy if trained if trained right. Um, I felt pretty comfortable with how everything turned out. Um, one of the things that was a a big caution for me was okay, if I go and do this, I know that every time I turn around, and in the perception of anything wrong, I'm going to be getting a ticket, a speeding ticket, um, crossing the jaywalking ticket, just anything. Mm. Um, and I would have to believe still in our justice and in, in the fact that we elected a new sheriff would be that if, if there's a law that's being broke, then yes, somebody should be held accountable for that. Well, I agree. But I think we also have we have another responsibility, and that is to say, and this is something I've developed since I've worked through this system. And first of all, let me tell you, defending yourself is not cheap either. <laughs> Being your own attorney takes just as much time, maybe a little less money, but you still have to buy access to research materials. You got to travel all over the place. You got to make these court documents. You got to make them right their way. Lots of copies, right. lots of triplicates, lots of certified mailings. Uh, so it's it's not cheap. And one of the problem is not just the time or the way that the justice system has made law scary for normal people, but there's a there's a cost of whether you're paying someone else to do it or doing it yourself. But I think one of the things we need to do is, like I said earlier to you guys, we have a broken system and we have to utilize that broken system to fix the broken system without getting overly emotional or saying we need to bomb the whole thing. And no, we're going to get there incrementally. And part of what I think our responsibility is. We need to start referring criminal charges on our own as citizens, not wait for the sheriff to do it. We need to start looking into the limits and the expectations of qualified immunity as it relates to harassment. If you're getting a ticket every time you go out the door, which is something you should expect, it's one of my life rules, walk out your door every morning, assuming everything you're doing is being investigated and recorded, and then the follow-up rule to that is always leave such a wide paper trail, they'd never want to investigate all of it. But when it comes to getting cited, getting a ticket, because of this last issue that I dealt with is, you know, I have a new motto, and this is not me being disrespectful to law enforcement. I have a small law enforcement background, private law enforcement, and a military background. I, I respect what these guys do. And there's a few times throughout a career where that hard thing that we really love the cops for, that, you know, SWAT team, whatever situation, good on them. The rest of the time... Man, I'm going to catch hell for saying this, but cops are secretaries with guns that make appointments for you to talk to judges. You don't argue with them. You don't disrespect them. You follow lawful orders, but they have no legal right to lecture you. You have no legal responsibility to listen to their lecture. Give me my appointment with the judge. I will see you in court. Thank you. And you might have to spend three days in jail because they don't like your attitude or whatever. Uh, but the bottom line is it's all going to get worked out in court. So, yeah. They can only give you so many jaywalking tickets before their harassment exceeds their qualified immunity, and it will have to stop, and it will be a judge that stops that. So unless you have a really, really good judge like I have in Carbon County, never vote to retain a judge. Be very careful who you elect, county sheriff and county attorney. Absolutely. So on the national level, we have this story about Hunter Biden and unequal justice under the law, if they put one one-thousandth of effort into legitimately investigating the Bidens or the Clintons at, as they have into Donald Trump, I think you've, you've, I've made my point just right there. 
pretty much everybody out there listening to this is aware of those things. And we like to think, well, that's, that doesn't happen here. That doesn't happen in Wyoming. The reason I wanted to bring this show, and here are two of my friends who have been victims of this, and I could regale you with a couple of stories of my own about myself personally. Your wife's shaking her head no. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to go there. Apparently but, you can't regale us with but, those stories. But the point is, this is not just a national problem. This is a systemic problem that involves Wyoming as well. And we need to be aware. We need to be alert. And when you read a news article that says crazy Nina Weber goes out and shoots up the countryside, frantically missing elk, there might be another side of the story. There's a reason we call it the cow pie cow. Yeah. When you read a story that says Joey Coretti went out and whatever it was he did this week, there might be another side to the story. I'm asking you to reserve judgment. I'm asking you to consider because just because it didn't involve you this time doesn't mean it won't next time. Well, remember, they probably came after Nina and myself because we matter how easily can they go and get the people nobody's looking out for nobody i mean we have our detractors but we have our supporters yes we do there's a lot of normal people that are just normal people they don't have the time they don't have the money they don't have the network of support that we do so you the question i always ask myself when i see these things come out what they're doing to hunter biden i said if i was even suspected of something like that what would they do? And if it's any different than what they're doing, then I know it's corruption. And I'm telling you, if Nina and I were anywhere in the D.C. area the day they found that cocaine, we'd both be in jail right now, having our blood <laughs> and our hair tested to see when's the last time we were near cocaine, because it had to have been one of them. Because we'll never go after uh, Biden. But if us normal, yeah. what, what, what did the governor call us? Uh, non-essential workaday knuckleheads. If uh, we knucklehead, could get treated differently. Comment. Yes. Yeah. If, yeah. if we would be treated differently in that situation, then that person needs to be treated the way we would. And that's how you know. That's the gauge. Nina, last words? Last words. I would say that... That's not a threat, by the way. It, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I would say uh, there's a lot of truth in what uh, my friend Joey was just talking about. And, and that is... Um, you know, it can happen. It, it happened to me. It can happen to you. And... Um, it's pretty scary to go through those um, types of events because it's it, it's costly. It's very, 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 very stressful. Every person you think you know or don't know, they have questions for you. And uh, it, it's hard to come out on the other end standing strong. Um, and when you do, you know you're right. You know you're right. Well, appreciate both of you telling us your story, um, as difficult as it may have been. Thank you very much for your time. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I hope that the uh, benefit to your listeners uh, is more than the benefit of us currently not being in jail right now. Uh, it's nice to be off probation, but it's kind of no different. You know, all he said was, hey, go back to the last you know, 23 years where you didn't violate the law. Just act like that and the next 18 months and you'll be fine. But to know that the state doesn't have an active vested interest in me anymore and that anybody who wants to get me on something has to spend money to watch me feels a little better. And uh, just remember what I said. At some point, it may happen to you. You do not argue your case on the side of the road. You take the citation. 
You try to show respect, but you have rights. Exercise those rights. You might be detained for a little while, up to 72 hours if it's a holiday weekend. But ultimately, you want to get in front of that judge because that's where it happens. There you go. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.